Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by one of community's founding pastors, John Ferguson, as we continue our series, Starting Over. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You guys doing good? Seems like it. Seems like a lot of energy in the room. Always great to be here. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, truthfully, uh, no place I'd rather be than uh, right here celebrating uh, with you this morning. So thanks for showing up so it wouldn't just be me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, in the movie, We're the Millers, I don't think this is like an Academy Award winning movie by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, But there's a character, Scotty P, who wants to date the daughter in the family. And when he sits down with his parents, he boldly shows off his tattoo. No regrets. R-A-G-R-E-T-S. Yeah, just the guy you want for your daughter, right? No, I have a 17-year-old daughter. I thought about this for about a half a second. Not so much. Uh, Sadly, though, this kind of thing doesn't just happen in the movies. Uh, Here are a few more people with uh, some regrets. Take a look at this. It's just painful, isn't it? I mean, you know, nothing spells regret like a skin-piercing permanent ink typo. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, a few years back, we unknowingly contributed to a tattoo regret for someone here at Community. Uh, one guy was so passionate about Community and our mission that he actually had our logo tattooed to his calf. Uh, what he didn't know was that we were in the middle of um, a rebranding process. Yeah, and weeks after he got that tattoo, we changed our logo. <laughs> You guys aren't even laughing. It's, it's like, it's kind of funny, really, but I know you feel bad for him. Ooh. But you know, tattoos aside, the truth is we all have regrets, right? Uh, you know, maybe you failed in your effort to pursue a, a fulfilling career. Or it might be that you pushed away someone you love out of a, a fit of rage or maybe through some foolish behavior. Or maybe today you're like me and you come here a Chicago Cubs fan. Okay, can we just kind of get this out of us. I mean, I feel like we all just need to collectively on three kind of go, Ugh. all right, ready? On three. One, two, three. Yeah. Doesn't that feel better? Huh? Yeah, we feel better now. Okay. So I thought about this though. All right. I thought about this for a long, long while. If you know me, you know, I'm an avid Cub fan, having for a long time. And I can tell you what it's going to take for the Cubs to win. I figured it out. I researched it. It's going to take seven games. I'm absolutely positive of that right now. Now, I want somebody to find out how many times we won three games in a row during the regular season. I mean, it had to be dozens, right? So we got this. We got this. Okay. All right. Just kind of had to get that out. All right. So last week, we did talk about different kinds of regret, didn't we? 
You remember, we wrote it on the wall, regrets of action. Okay, do you remember that? Regrets of action. These are times when we kind of, you know, smack our foreheads and go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Then there's regrets of inaction. Times we failed to take action. Opportunities missed. Uh, time wasted. Words unspoken. And then there's re- regrets of reaction. You know, sometimes our greatest regrets are due to something hurtful that was actually done to us. Oftentimes at no fault of our own. You know, something bad happens to us, but even so, we still regret that. Am I right? And so we have regrets of action, inaction, and reaction. And, you know, like a misspelled tattoo, you know, we'd love to remove our regrets with a quick laser surgery or, a, you know, simply cover them up with a little bit more ink. But instead, many of us, what do we do? We hold on to our regrets and we get stuck in what we're calling the sorry cycle. And we just cannot shake what's been done to us or what we've done, whether it was our fault or not. And psychologists, they have a a word for this. They call it rumination. And it's like a cow chewing his cud. Because in our minds, see, we just kind of, you know, and if you're like me, I do this all the time. I just sort of chew on my regrets over and over and over again. And we so long to make it right, but we're never able, quite able to do so, which only leads to what? Even more, right, regret. But I'm here to tell you, there is some really, really good news. See, it is possible, I truly believe with all my heart, to live beyond your regrets. You can start over. No matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or what you've not done or what's been done to you, starting over is possible. And last week we learned that you can actually learn to love our regrets when we begin to see our regrets, see, not as a finish line, but instead as a starting line. And I think that's so important for us to remember that we need to see our regrets not as a finish line, but actually as a starting light. See, regret is meant to be a helpful emotion that can actually launch us into a better future and a closer walk with God. And so the next three weeks, we're going to take a look at three steps to starting over. Three steps to starting over. Now, that might sound simple. It's not, okay? But I think it's a worthwhile process. If you'll hang in there, I encourage you to be here for the next three weeks. And the first step begins when we choose one of two options. Okay. The first step begins when we choose one of two options. Now, you see, unfortunately, for many of us, we choose to hide our regrets. We hide our regrets. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you naturally want to keep those things hidden. I mean, if you have a misspelled tattoo on your shoulder, you're likely to keep that thing hidden, right? You're not likely to show a whole lot of people, right? But here's the deal. That regret may be hidden, but it's still there. We may hide it, We may try to put it away, but it's still there. It's just buried alive. And anything that's buried alive will fight to come back to life. Now, maybe you're wondering why this big old bucket of water is here with this beach ball. Well, there's a purpose behind this. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a swimming pool with a beach ball and, you know, you tried to shove it underwater? Ever done that? Now, this is a very small beach ball. Look what happens. All right. Imagine if I had a really big beach ball, probably go flying in there. We'd have water all over the stage, right? And that's what happens, see? In fact, I kind of actually enjoy doing this. I did this several times when I was practicing before the service, and I got a little bit wet myself, all right? But I'm easily entertained. But see, this is what it's like when we try to hide our regrets. You know, it's like we're walking around, and we're trying to live our lives, while at the same time, we're holding down our regrets. We're trying to hold this beach ball down. Think about it this way. You know, maybe you're in a situation, you find yourself, uh, you know, you're kind of attracted to someone, and you feel like this relationship could go somewhere. Uh, but you have regrets from past relationships. 
And you know, you're, you're, you're trying to look forward, thinking there's possibility here, but that regret is still there, and it's trying to jump up and remind you of your past mistakes, and it's destroying the potential for this new relationship. Anybody ever feel that way? Or I don't know, maybe you know, you're thinking about you know, jumping into some sort of new venture, okay? A, a new startup of some kind. It's going to require some risk, all right? And you've prayed about it. You've sought wise counsel. You're getting green lights from everywhere. You're ready to move forward. But regret from past failures kind of start to whisper in your ear. And as much as you try to drown out those voices, they keep popping up. And I mean, that regret, it can be anything. It could be, uh, you know, a bankruptcy, a divorce. It could be a harsh word that ended a friendship. It could be that DUI, that lost job. It could be, you know, a repeated sin pattern. And we don't want to think about it. So what do we do? Well, we shove our regrets under the water and we can get really good at keeping them there, right? And we hold that down like this, right? Push them down in denial, you know? And, and, you know, we kind of think, you know, want want people to think, well, there's nothing to see here. You know, move right along. Look how successful I am. Look how happy I am. Look how wonderful my family is. And we remain in denial, hiding our regrets, right? Others get really good at multitasking. You know, the, the regret is there, but I keep myself busy or maybe I get angry or, you know, I numb myself to the regret. But there's a danger in hiding our regrets, trying to hold them under the water like this. It can keep me from giving my best to whatever is in front of me right now, all right? Because I'm trying to hold on to this regret, which only leads what? To even more regrets, holding more balls, beach balls under the water. Hiding my regret can also paralyze me. I can't possibly move forward if I'm, you know, holding this regret down like this. And you know what? It also gets exhausting. Try to, you know, I was going to get a really big beach ball, but there's no way I could have held it underwater nearly that long. But that's what we try to do, don't we? And the truth is, see, your regrets will always come to the surface. They will always come to the surface, just like this crazy beach ball. Uh, In 2 Samuel 11, we find a story about uh, someone who tried to hide his regret. It's about David, king of Israel. And it's, you know, David of David and Goliath fame. David, one of the most incredible leaders in all of history. He's powerful. Uh, He's revered. He's in control. But while his men are off fighting a war, David finds himself strolling around the roof of his palace when he sees a woman in the building across the way. Now, apparently this was no innocent glance because David is immediately smitten by this woman. Her name is Bathsheba. And sadly, David's lust overrules his better judgment. He calls for Bathsheba. He sleeps with her. And David, he knows this is wrong, but if he felt any regret the next day, what does he do? He just pushes it under the water, right? He chooses to hide what he's done. But that becomes increasingly more difficult and becomes almost impossible when Bathsheba comes back to him and says, "Uh, David, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And again, you know, David has a choice to make. You know, will he deal with his regret or will he try to hide it? And sadly, he tries to push a little bit harder on that beach ball to keep it underwater. He calls Uriah from the battlefield. All right. Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, one of David's best soldiers. So David calls her husband from the battlefield, sends him home thinking, okay, if they spend a little bit of time together, maybe then he'll eventually think that this child is his instead of somebody else's. But Uriah is a man of integrity, refuses to do that, refuses to come home and enjoy the pleasures of home while his men are on the front lines in battle. And this beach ball gets even bigger for King David. And so once again, David faces a choice and once again, he chooses to hide and he sends Uriah out to the front lines of battle and he tells his generals, all right, to abandon him there so that then he gets attacked and is killed by the enemy. So now not only is David an adulterer and a liar, now he's a murderer. 
And I mean, David, he's getting pretty skilled at hiding his regrets, right? With one hand, you know, pushing this beach ball down, he brings Bathsheba into his home and makes her his wife, and the regret remains hidden, right? Well, what did we say earlier? Those regrets always somehow make their way to the surface, don't they? And so God sends Nathan, a prophet, to tell David a little story. And I want to read that story, and I want you to follow along with me, okay, on the screen. Remember, this is Nathan now going to to David, Nathan the prophet. And he says this to David. He says, uh, David, I want to tell you a story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. Next slide. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who came to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Kind of getting the point of the story. Nathan the prophet telling David the story. Well, when David hears this story, his initial and gut reaction is he's just angry. I mean, he's incensed by this story. And he says, Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Can you imagine how long the silence was after David says this to Nathan? Nathan gathering his thoughts. He's talking to the king, the most powerful man around. He maybe knows what happened, or he knows what happened to Uriah already, right? So he could be next. So I wonder how long Nathan paused before he responded to David. But the scripture says that then Nathan said to David, uh, David, um, that story, you are the man. You are the man. And that beach ball just breaks through the surface. Then Nathan goes on to tell David what God revealed to him, the adultery, the deception, the murder. And again, David's faced with a choice, right? One of two options. He could continue hiding. I mean, he got rid of Uriah. Surely he had the means to get rid of Nathan as well, right? But thankfully, this time, David makes a different choice. David says to Nathan, he says this. He says, says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. A short phrase, full of so much power, full of so much potential, a new direction for the future, David chose to recognize his regret. David chose to recognize his regret. And folks, see, that right there is the choice that we have to make if we hope to start over. That's the choice we have to make if we hope to start over. Uh, You know, Greg is uh, one of our friends here at Community. And Greg faced a similar decision to hide or to recognize his regret. And uh, here's uh, part of Greg's story. My name is Greg, and this is my starting over story. So I grew up in Parkersburg, West Virginia, in I think what most people would call a pretty typical home. Uh, Mom and a dad and one younger brother. Church was not a a huge part of our life. We did go on Sundays, but it was just the place where we had to wear bad socks, and I didn't enjoy going. The first time I uh, remember being introduced to alcohol, I was was probably about 13 years old. I was hanging out with an an older kid. His name was Chad, and... uh, We stole a couple bottles of wine from my parents' liquor cabinet, and we drank the bottle of wine, and we uh, we made screwdrivers. And when I when I got home, I remember that I had uh, we had this downhill driveway, 
uh, into the garage, and I remember the garage door wasn't up, so I remember wrecking into the garage. I remember my parents yelling at me. I remember crying and hugging a toilet. I remember promising that I would never do this again. What I also remember is that even though the consequences were bad, that I thought I had found the answer to life's problems that frankly I didn't even know I had before that day. All the fear and doubt and insecurity in the world just kind of slipped away when I drank and I thought I'd found the answer to life. My parents had different ideas uh, growing up uh, that was not okay in our home, so I found myself in trouble all the time. It's funny, my mom would say, you know, I needed to get different friends, but what she didn't realize is I had become the friend that other people should get a different one for. Um, that's kind of the route my high school took. I think probably the first time that a light bulb came on, I'd been on a bender, came home to steal money. Um, that was my job. <laughs> I snuck into the house and got caught with my hand in the cookie jar, and rather than coming out up with some lie like I normally would, I remember just saying, I have a problem with drugs and drinking and I, I can't stop and I don't know what to do. And, um, and so my father actually knew instantly what he wanted to do. So uh, they told me that a van was on its way to my house uh, to come pick me up and take me away to my first treatment center. So I was 17 years old at that time. I felt helpless um, and lost and clueless as to how to how I can make it through life because I couldn't imagine life going on as I was living it, but I certainly couldn't imagine any other way either at that point. I also looked at my family and realized that I had destroyed any resemblance of what a family is. What, what do I do now? I've thrown away everything. Life's over. Um, I, didn't real, I, I didn't see how more could happen after, after what I'd done. I won't say that treatment did a lot of good things or life change happened there, but what did happen was I met a counselor named Rob. When Rob would share what it was like for him to want to drink or get high, uh, I knew that Rob was just like me. Uh, and I had grown up, up to that point, thinking I was the only one that felt that way inside. A seed was planted that if Rob could do it, then maybe there was hope for a guy like me too. I had an aunt who lived in Chicago named Fran, and Fran had recently gotten sober herself and offered that if I wanted to change my life, she offered to let me move out with her to give me a new chance and a new start. So I moved out to Chicago. Fran introduced me to a few other people who were closer to my age and also uh, had gotten sober and recovering. I began to have just, a, I guess you'd call it a glimmer of hope, you know, hope that if it was possible for these people, um, that maybe it could be possible for me too. The reality was I was still a long way away, uh, many years away from getting off this downward destructive sorry cycle. Okay, well, let's just say thanks to Greg for being courageous and sharing his story. You know, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear more of Greg's story. But, you know, his story of starting over began when he chose to recognize his regret. And uh, this may sound somewhat mysterious, but I believe it with all my heart. We have an enemy who wants to keep us in the darkness of our regret. And he'll whisper in our ear, don't you dare let that out. Don't you dare talk about it. It will ruin you. And so it sits buried and dead, right? Hidden, but still powerful. It sits kind of below the surface, feeding our shame and our heartache. But if we want to start over, see, we've got to bring it to the service. We've got to 
show it to the light and we've got to recognize our regret. And I, I know this, uh, I know this is not easy. This is really, really hard stuff. You know, I'm a pretty prideful person. And so when it comes to regret and the stuff I wish I had done that I didn't do or stuff that I hadn't done that I wish I had done or stuff that was done to me, you know, I would just rather, you know, keep it underwater, hope it'll go away below the surface. Nobody will notice. Maybe it'll get better on its own. But uh, I, I mean, I'm learning. It just doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. And so my prayer, my hope is that today can be a sort of Nathan moment for every one of us, because I believe God wants us to recognize our regrets, break the sorry cycle and to truly start over. You know, the apostle Peter, we talked about him last week, remember? And how he, he dealt with his regrets when he denied Jesus. He wrote these words. He said, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And so we really have two options, all right? To hide our regrets or to humble ourselves, recognize them, banking on God's promise that through Jesus, he will forgive us and free us from our regret. And so if you're here today and you're, you're just growing tired of holding that beach ball under the water and you're ready, ready to trust God with your regrets, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. First thing you got to do is get honest with yourself. We've got to get honest with ourselves. You have regrets. We all have regrets. There are things that have been done to you or things that you have done. And first, you have to face the facts head on. It happened. You were wronged or you wronged somebody. Someone, uh, you know, maybe you broke a promise to someone or you lied or you cheated or you caused pain or received pain. Whatever it is, something happened. Recognize it. Write it down. Say it to yourself. It happened. And then next, get honest with God. Get honest with God. Get honest with yourself. Get honest with God. I mean, whatever occurred, it, it will come as no surprise to God. All right, it's not like he's wondering what happened. He knows, but he needs to hear it from you. He knows, but he needs to hear it from you. There's nothing he doesn't know and nothing he doesn't feel. And he knows when you're afraid. He knows when you're crying or cussing or numbing or ignoring or avoiding. He knows, and you've got to get honest with him about what happened and how you feel. That's what a real relationship with God looks like. He wants that from you. And then finally, get honest with someone else. Get honest with someone else, someone who could become a Nathan to you and, and help you start over. You know, we called our church, we named it community because we knew that every single one of us would need others on this journey of finding our way back to God. This is not supposed to be a solo effort, folks. Okay, we gotta be in this with other people. We need each other. We need each other to start over. So I wanna encourage you, you know, have the courage to tell your small group or find a, a trusted friend, maybe within the context of your small group, but stop hiding, stop hiding. Let somebody know. You know, Steve was a, a guy who many of us at Community knew very well. He, he uh, welcomed people uh, to church on you know, Sunday after Sunday for many, many years. And in his younger years, Steve built a successful business, married a wonderful woman, had two great kids. And yet Steve, I mean, if he were here still, he would be the first to tell you that he came so close to completely trashing his life. When he found his way back to God, he, he came clean and he admitted to you know, chasing women, doing drugs, cheating, stealing. He called it, he called it all a, a snake-like activity. Referred to his actions in that way himself. But by the time he recognized his regret, it was too late for his marriage. His wife understandably asked him to move out. He had to accept some really hard consequences for his actions. But still, you see, coming clean gave him a chance to truly start over. Uh, last year, Steve passed away after a long and courageous battle with cancer. 
Uh, but at his funeral, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people came to celebrate his life, including his ex-wife who sat in the very front row, his friends and his kids, many business associates that he'd hurt in significant ways in the past came to, to honor and celebrate his life. And so you, you, know, you kind of might think to yourself, okay, well, you know, how, how could a one-time self-described snake receive such honor at his death? And you know what I think was the pivotal point here? The thing that really made the difference for Steve It was because Steve recognized his regrets and he dealt with them. He recognized his regrets and he dealt with them. Shortly before Steve died, he said, you know what? It took me a long time to recognize that I was not God. It took me a long time to recognize that I am not God. But eventually he admitted his faults to himself and to God, apologized to those he'd hurt, made amends in those with people that he was able to make amends with and the people in his life, they saw his sincerity. They saw the change in him once he found his way back to God. And see, for Steve, think about this, for Steve, recognizing his regrets made all the difference between him dying as a lonely outcast and instead being surrounded by hundreds of people during his last days who loved and cared for him. And sure, I know he he wished he'd have done it earlier, but recognizing his regrets made all the difference for Steve and the people that he loved. And folks, I know none of us, we can't change the past. We can't change the past. But like Steve, we have a choice about our future. You know, we can choose to hide or we can courageously choose to recognize our regrets until they lose their power over us. And when we do that, you see, our regrets won't be a finish line, right? They will become a a starting line. A starting line. Man, I don't know about you, but I need that. And so this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to take that first step in starting over, to recognize your regrets. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite everyone to come to one of our communion stations we have set up in the room. Some of them are in the back, and most of them are up front right here. And we're going to celebrate the death, resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus like we do every single week. But as we do that, I want to give you another opportunity today. We want to give you the chance to recognize your regrets by making your way to one of these walls. You'll see that, you know, folks, lots of folks took advantage of that during the 930 service. There's some chalk on these on these tables, and it's just an opportunity. We're not going to ask you to, 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 you know, write it out for everyone to see. We don't want you to write your name even. We just want to give you a chance to, in your own way, between you and God and yourself and then eventually somebody else to just recognize your regret. Maybe it's with a symbol, a word, a letter, a picture of some kind, whatever it means to you. Maybe it's just an X or a line. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. But the point is that you have a chance in a very real and authentic way today to say, I want to start over. I know that first step is to recognize my regrets. And this is something I want to do right now. Essentially, we're offering offering you the chance today to start over. You know, speaking prophetically about Jesus, centuries before he was born, the prophet Isaiah said this, and I want you to follow along as I read it. He said, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the regrets of us all. 
we're going to continue in our worship and, and we're going to celebrate communion. And again, communion, it's a reminder of our, uh, that, that, we don't re- that we don't bear our regrets by ourselves. And that Jesus is our ultimate motivation for stepping out of the dark and recognizing our deepest regrets. He died on the cross, took our guilt, took our shame so that we could know hope and healing and a future and freedom with him. The bread reminds us of his body. The juice reminds us of his blood that was shed. See, he conquered sin and death and even our greatest regrets in order that we might start over and live life to the full. So I just want to ask you to join me and let's remember his sacrifice. And as we do, I want to challenge you, encourage you to take that first step towards starting over by recognizing your regrets. And, you know, in a few moments, we're going to start singing a song. Again, you can come to one of these tables. The bread and juice are there. If you want to eat the bread and drink the cup right there, you can, or take it back to your seat, however you want to do that. Make your way to one of these walls. It's going to be a little bit chaotic, but we've set aside time for this. this that's okay. But don't miss this opportunity. All right, for you and God and and with this community of people to say, yep, I want to start over. And I'm going to recognize my regret and this is what it looks like. And just use a piece piece of chalk and write on that wall whatever it looks like for you to go before God and say, this is it. All right, right, I'm going to pray and then we'll do this. Father God, God, we come to you this morning and uh, yeah, we all have regrets, Lord. Uh, Times where we did something we wish we hadn't have done or we didn't do something we wish we had done or God, you know, something was happened to us, something horrible and it was no fault of our own and even so, God, we, we still live with regret and God, we, we, you know, we try to hide it, we try to push that beach ball under the water but it just keeps coming back to the surface and so God, right now in the presence of you and your Holy Spirit surrounded by your grace and love and mercy, God, we're gonna come and we're gonna say, okay, you know what? I recognize it. Here it is. This is it. This is what happened, God. Or didn't. And we give it to you. Because we know that your son, Jesus, and his blood, his sacrifice, and his resurrection offers us grace and freedom and hope and mercy and a future. We pray this in your name.